What's going on everyone? It's the Cheat Sheet, issue number 16, and this week I am previewing Schmodown Spectacular 4. It's going down in just a few days, and it's, I think, one of the biggest events that Schmodown has ever done. I, I feel like I keep saying that for like Collision or Last Year's Spectacular. It just keeps getting better and better. Uh, so, right now, Shmodown Spectacular will be the greatest event we've ever done. And then next year, uh, Collision will be the best event we've ever done then, and so on and so forth. That's how I think it's going to go. Okay. But, yes, I am previewing the matches that are going to happen this coming Saturday, December 7th, in downtown LA. I'm going to be there. Brad Gilmore is going to be there. Um, and that's all you really need to know who's going to be there. But we have some really, really great matches uh, that I am really looking forward to. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm previewing Spectacular, and I'm looking at it from a statistical standpoint. Not wins and losses necessarily, but like accuracy rates, stealer rates, how many times a player or a team uses multiple choice, uh, factors like that, uh, opponent strength of schedule. Uh, so... There's a lot of uh, interesting things that I found in my research and compiling all this information for, for today's episode, and I'm, I'm really excited to share some of it because I think it's just really interesting. And if, if you are someone that loves stats, I think you'll really uh, definitely get a lot out of this issue. Uh, again, you can actually find all of this information on theshowdownlive.com. There's a stats section all of it's up to date, aside from the Shazam Looney Bin match that dropped today on Patreon, and I believe it just finished airing, or is about to finish airing on YouTube publicly. And uh, great, Brandon Hannah's in here. Uh, Brandon, I'm not talking about you. You, you, you're not playing in, in the spectacular. I'm sorry. So, um, go put your gloves on. Scratch someone off of a list or something, whatever you do. Um, have fun with that. But we got five matches at Spectacular. We have we're gonna have the final of the singles tournament between William Bibiani and Ben Bateman. Then we're gonna have the Star Wars match uh, between Alex Damon and uh, Laura Kelly. Then after that. We will have the team championship between Founding Fathers and a team to be determined. Uh, we kind of... If you've seen the, the Shazam Looney, Man, Looney Bin match, you already know who who's advancing to the final. Uh, but I'm not going to talk about any of the spoilers. I will talk about all final four teams from the tournament and how they would stack up against Founding Fathers. So don't worry about any spoilers if you haven't watched that match yet. Uh, the third match, I'm sorry, the fourth match now, uh, at Spectacular, will be the Inner Geekdom Division champion, Brandon Hanna. It'll be between Mike Kalinowski, okay, Brandon Hanna, and he'll be defending it against Kevin Smets. You got that, Brandon Hanna? Uh, and then the final match of the night will be the singles title match between Paulo Yama and either William Bibiani or Ben Bateman. So let's get into how Ben Bateman and William Bibiani stack up because going through these numbers, I figured I'll see someone who has kind of an advantage in one area or another. Now, that's kind of what I found, and I'm curious to see what other people think of that point. But Ben Bateman has gone on a tear uh, this year. I mean, he lost to Mike Kalinowski, but after that, he he's just elevated his game to another level. Right now, he has a record of 4-1 and one entering this match against uh, Bibiani. He has an accuracy rate of nearly 87%. It's 86.84% this year in singles division. Yes, by the way, all these numbers are for just the 2019 season. It's not a, a lifetime stat. Um, but Ben Bateman's accuracy rate is the third best accuracy rate this season amongst players with two or more matches. William Bibiani 
his accuracy rate is 86.60. That's about 0.24 less than Ben Bateman's, and that makes Bibiani's accuracy rate the fourth best accuracy rate in the singles division this year. So is there an advantage there? Who has the advantage? you got to look a little deeper. For steal rate, it's hard to quantify just because not a lot of people or a lot of players have, you know, some, well, Ben Bateman, he's had 10 steal opportunities and he's capitalized on eight of them. Bibiani, on the other hand, through his six matches this year, he's only had four opportunities for a steal. That's not a lot when you compare it to Ben Bateman, right? Uh, but he's but he's capitalized three of those four times. So who has an advantage in terms of steals? I, I don't know. And when you look at Ben Bateman's and Bibiani's steal opportunities, we got to look at their uh, their opponent's accuracy rate, average accuracy rate against uh, coming or playing against them. So it's not about the the level of competitor that they are playing. It's about the level at which their competitors have played them. So Ben Bateman has played Mike Kalinowski, whose whose career average is around like the high or low seventies, I think it is. Um, but if he played up, even though both of them in that match actually didn't play really that great, but let's just say player A is like a sixty percent average player, uh, but he puts up like a ninety percent accuracy rate. That's how this uh, opponent average is kind of compiled. It doesn't take into account their their lifetime average. It, takes, it just takes into account how they played against Bateman or how they played against Bibbs. And, you know, Bibbs has played, yes, he has played proven tough competitors. He's played Chance Ellison, Ethan Irwin, John Roca, both of those guys twice in, a, in that triple threat and then individually in the tournament. Uh, he played Dan Merle, came up short in that one. Uh, but right now, and then, you know, he's playing Ben Bateman next. And he is now probably going to give him one hell of a match. And Bibbs has been through this all year long. If you look at his opponent's average accuracy rate, Bibbs is, uh, his opponents are averaging 82.61% against him. And you look at Ben Bateman's opponents, their averaging accuracy rate is 65.25%. Uh, a significant drop. Uh, that's a big disparity in opponent uh, play for both of those players. And mind you, Bibbs' uh, opponent average, that's 10% higher than the division average this year. And conversely for Ben Bateman, his opponent average is 7% less than the than the division-wide uh, ac- average accuracy rate this year. Um. Bibbs is, uh, Rick Duran says Bibbs' streak is on level with 2018 Bateman. Um, interesting. Okay. Interesting uh, take because Bibbs is in the midst of a hell of a run. Um, he's so far he's he's racked up I think what like five straight. He got th- three in the three in the singles tournament as of right now. He's trying to go for a fourth win and then he racked up a win against movie guys, and uh, the odd couple. So that's five. Then, you know, let's see what happens with Looney Bin. Um, again, I'm not going to go into spoilers for that match if you haven't seen it, so don't worry about it. Uh, but he isn't. He's he's he has the opportunity, even if his tournament run ended today in teams, he still would have a possibility of two more matches. And I said this on the rundown uh, over the weekend. Uh, he has the possibility... That, to to have the greatest single season a player has ever had and that I mean he's got he's got to win both tournaments and then he's got to cap it off at spectacular which is you know no easy feat that that was something Sam Levine could could not even fully accomplish yes he won both tournaments the only player to do that thus far Bibbs he could do it we'll have to find out at spectacular um but even Levine he was one of two in title matches. You know, he couldn't defeat the Patriots that first go around as spectacular, but he was able to take down Christian Harloff, who, look, had a really bad game. Okay, so, but nonetheless, Levine could only go one of two uh, as spectacular. So it's not an easy feat. It's not an easy thing that Bibbs is trying to accomplish here. 
but it again, but he's been playing tough matches all year long. Again, this opponent, his uh, opponent average, is the fourth highest in the division this year. It's behind uh, Ethan Irwin, uh, who's played just incredible um, competition this year. Dan Merle, uh, he played again. He played Bibbs twice in the triple threat and in the tournament. So. He's gone up against really, really tough opponents. That is Ethan Irwin, but Bibbs, he's been doing the same thing. Ethan Irwin's doing it, doing a little bit more, and he's got the W's behind him, which is all the more impressive. Going down, here's the one other stat that I find interesting that I'm really trying to dig into more is at the rate at which players and teams use multiple choice. How accurate are they with multiple choice, and what is their usage rate of multiple choice? Because the higher the usage rate, for a player or a team, that obviously is going to take away potential points that that player or team can accumulate in the second round, which can then, you know, be your downfall when it gets into the later rounds because because you went to multiple choice, you took away that one point. Now it's not it's no longer a tie game; it's a one point win for the other team. So you you're canceling yourself, you're hurting yourself. But at the same time, is it the right strategic move? So all of that can kind of cascade by the time you get to the end of the match. So when you look at multiple choice usage rates for both B- for Bibiani and Bateman, Bateman is has the second lowest usage rate uh, this season. He only goes to multiple choice fifteen percent of the time this year. He's done that fifteen percent of the time, and in and in those uh, usages, he's two of three uh, converting on multiple choice. Bibiani, he his usage rate is actually double that of Bibi of Bateman rather, uh, with a twenty nine point one seven percent usage rate, which is the eighth. Uh, lowest in the division this year, but he is seven of seven on multiple choice. So if he goes multiple choice, uh, you know Ben Bateman should not expect a steal. And to that point, Bibiani has not missed a second round question this year in the division. Um, whereas Ben Bateman, he's missed a couple, but still has a high percentage. Eighty nine point four seven percent is. Ben Bateman's round two accuracy rate. Uh, and, and when you look at point-wise for rounds one and two, both Bibiani and Ben Bateman are averaging seven points this season in the division. When you look at their round two, there's a teeny bit of separation, and it's only by 0.4 of a point uh, average-wise. Round two, Bibiani's averaging 6.8 points. Ben Bateman averaging 6.4 points, which means between rounds one and two, Bibbs is coming out with 13.8 points on average. That's to Ben Bateman's 13.4 through the first two rounds. So there's really no separation there. And I think what could make or break the match early on and dictate rounds three and four, the betting round and the speed round, is the rate at which both of these players opt to go to multiple choice and what is their conversion rate going to be like when they do go to multiple choice. That's going to be very huge here because... Bibbs has gone to it almost 30% of his questions in round two this year, but he hasn't missed, so that's good, but he's also you know, not earning another potential seven points. Will that come back to bite him if he plays that way against Ben Bateman, who doesn't go to multiple choice, still has a high accuracy rate in the second round, but if he does miss, Bibbs could pick up a steal, uh, a rare steal opportunity for him this year, and that could be the difference. Will Ben play a little more conservative? Uh, it's going to be very interesting because who knows who's going to have the lead after that first round and dictate you know, who goes first or second in that second round. This is going to be such a highly contested, hotly contested match. Uh, I, this is going to be incredible to watch given the way both of these players have both been on a run in the singles tournament and in the teams tournament that, that we're still wrapping up right now. Uh, one of the things that I like to look at also is the PPE usage or uh, PPE rate, the possible points earned. So it's you know it's if there's a total of ten possible points for a player and they're and they earn nine of those ten, they have a PPE rate of ninety percent. I hope you follow that. So when you look at both of these players for this season, Bibiani his PPE percentage is eighty percent, whereas Ben Bateman's is eighty four point four. So which means Ben Bateman is earning more of his available points than Bibiani does of his available points. And you can point towards 
Bibiani's multiple choice usage rate. The more he goes to multiple choice, the lower his PPE is going to be. Uh, and, in, and that's the inverse for Ben Bateman. He doesn't go to multiple choice a lot, so he's able to accumulate more points, even though his his accuracy rate might take a bit of a dent. He's still able to earn more points, and that could be the difference when you look at the first two rounds of this, this tournament final, and then that can dictate how many points they're betting the third round, and then that will further could uh, dictate how aggressive or conservative one or the other is in the betting in the speed round, and then all bets are off once you get to that final round. Because really, I think the winner of this match, depending on how everything goes, is going to ultimately have to just run the run the board there, two, three, and five pointer to come out on top uh, for this match. It's going to be a slugfest, and it's going to be a hell of a way to start off Schmodown spectacular. But and so I look at this and I go, I kind of want to give Ben the edge. But Bibiani has been playing tough competition, tough play all year long. Like I said, he has uh, the uh, the fourth highest opponents' uh, average rate this year compared compared to Ben's, who's down at number it's the eighteenth strongest. If you want to look at it that way, so sixty-five to eighty-two percent. It's a big disparity. But Ben has been playing really well, and I think you can point towards strategy. Now, uh, how does this? How will these two fare against Paul Oyama? Uh I'm going to save that for the end, but there's two different scenarios in which I can... I mean, it's going to be very interesting. Uh, I can't... Yeah, that one's going to be fun to talk about because Paul Oyama is 6-0, knows the game uh, very well. I've heard Ben talk about how, how, how much he realizes and recognizes how much Paul knows the game as well as the movie trivia. Uh, Bibbs, obviously known for his movie trivia... But he doesn't talk a lot about the strategy that he uses or implements or or prepares for. So it'll be interesting to see first Bibiani and Bateman and then whoever plays Oyama um, and how they line up. But uh, the second match, I'm going to move away from this one, uh, but this one is really too close to call. But I, Officially, I think, my official pick here, ooh, 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 ooh man, jeez, this is really tough. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I, I think, I think I'm gonna give it to Bibbs, because he's played tough competition all year long. He's battle tested. He's been through it all. He puts up huge numbers when you push him to the distance. Um, and I think you know, I think he's gonna swing for the fences. I mean, Ben will too. But I think, uh, yeah, this is gonna be interesting. And the other thing too, Bibiani's had three. Perfect first rounds, three times he's gone eight for eight. However, he's only capitalized on the bonus just one of those three times. Ben's done it twice, uh, eight for eight, and has capitalized on both of those uh, bonus uh, bonus question opportunities. So, you know, who it's going to be. This one is really, really, really close, and I can't wait to see it. Uh, second match of Spectacular. Let's get on to this one. There's not a whole lot to talk about this Star Wars championship other than the fact that Alex Damon is answering uh, 89 0.72% of his questions compared to Lori Kelly's. She's answering 90%. But you got to look at Alex Damon. He's 4 and 1. So over five matches, he's answering just a hair under 90%. Lori Kelly, in her two matches, she's answering 90%. And in two matches, she's only missed four questions. She's 36 out of 40. Very impressive. She's had perfect first rounds uh, in both of her matches. Uh, if there is anyone who can take down Alex Damon, I think it is Lori Kelly. Uh, I think she has a great shot at doing it. And I went back and I, and I was trying to get a more of a an even comparison between Alex Damon and Laura Kelly. And, and so I looked at Alex Damon's first two matches and how they line up with Laura Kelly's first two matches. And uh, Alex Damon, his first two matches, it's about 87% compared to Laura Kelly's 90%. Then I looked at Alex Damon's last two matches and pretty much the same. He's about 89% uh, in his last two matches. He's 42 out of 47, so he's missed five compared to Laura's four, but uh, it's 42 out of 47 for Alex Damon, 36 out of 40 for Laura Kelly when you compare their, their two most recent matches. So very, very close. Uh, Alex Damon's had steal opportunities. Uh, PPE percentage actually favors Laura Kelly just slightly. Again, that's 
that's a bit of a skewed number because Alex Damon has played more matches, so I would have to go in and like rebalance it. But even then, it's just really, really hard to say. But like I said, if someone if if I think if Alex Damon's going to lose, Laura Kelly's the one to do it. I know there's Scrimshaw out there, and I know there's Andrew DeMolanza out there who's chomping at the bit to get his shot. Um, you know, Sam Wintworth is not walking through that door. Ken Knapsack, I, I, you know what? I think he's pretty comfortable at the desk. So, um, Laura Kelly, not only is she our only option, but I think she's the best option we've had since a Sam Witwer. Uh, and there's no disrespect to anybody else. I just think that highly of Laura Kelly. And I know Christian, Christian Harlow said something earlier, uh, on SEN today specifically about, uh, Laura Kelly's post-match interview. And how Jen brought up uh, the match with Alex Damon, and she thought, you know, she, I'm paraphrasing, but she thought she was going to get creamed by Alex Damon. He's like, you can't have that mindset um, going into a match like that. And I whole, and I heartily agree, heartily agree. And, but I think that was kind of like in the moment of that that interview. And since then, I've seen a couple of appearances, and I've listened to to their show, Forced Toast. Um, but I've heard Laura Kelly talk more, and I, I. I She's prepared. She's prepared. She knows her stuff. Um, I think she was just paying uh, a great amount of respect to Alex Damon for everything he's accomplished thus far. And so I don't think she has a defeated mentality going into this match. I, I fully think uh, she's confident. And, you know, I've heard her, her heard her say that, you know, these questions aren't super deep cut. This is coming from her perspective. Aren't super deep cut. So she feels... Like, she knows everything that's going to be asked. It's just a matter of recalling it within those 15 seconds. And if you can do that, um, she probably feels like she has as good a shot as anyone will ever have against Alex Damon. And I got to believe he probably feels the same way. I I don't think there's a question that's going to be asked that night on that stage that neither of them will know. It just depends on whether or not they will know it within 15 seconds. Um, and, And... Star Wars, the Star Wars division, Star Wars matches have really shaped up to be just that. Who can recall all that information when it's called upon within the 15 seconds? And if you can do that, you're going to win the match. Uh, but this one, I think this will go to overtime. And I think it will go deep into an overtime run. Um, I think it would be really something to see Alex Damon and Laura Kelly just go 20 questions deep into uh, sudden death and have one of our best finishes of all time. It will, I dare say it might rival the Iron Man match final between Knapsack and Whitmer. Uh, that's what I think could happen for the Star Wars championship. People might sleep on it because you don't see it a lot, but I think it might be one of the most surprising matches of the night. And generally we don't get that with Star Wars just because it can be a, uh, Alex Damon is so good. It can just be, a complete wipeout. That really that really hasn't happened besides the Bruce Green debacle, which we don't need to go down that road. But uh, I'm looking forward to this championship match for the Star Wars division, and uh, I am going to officially pick Laura Kelly as my pick for this one based on nothing other than Alex Dam's got to lose sometime, and Laura Kelly is good enough to to end uh, to end the reign of Alex Damon in the Star Wars division. All right. The uh, third match of the Spectacular will be the team title match. Now, we do not know, uh, as of this moment, who will face Founding Fathers for this, for the team title. And there's a lot of implications regarding the manager and managers and drafts and all of that because if Founding Fathers wins, uh, then Tom Dagnino can retain them. You know, If they end up seeing who's the boss... In the final, well, that means Tom, yes, will be able to keep one of those teams because one of them will be champions. Uh, but we do not, we do not know if who's the boss will be there. And honestly, if you're Tom, you kind of don't want to see who's the boss in that final, as long as you could guarantee Founding Fathers is going to win, right? So, because you also want Ben Bateman to win the singles title. Best case scenario for Dagnino is who's a boss doesn't make it to the title match, the team title match. Founding Fathers, whoever they play, defends. That means Dagnino gets to keep. 
Merle and Roca. The other side of that has to be Ben Bateman defeats Bibiani, defeats Oyama, and then Dagnino can keep Bateman because he will now be a singles champion. And because who's the boss, they're in the final four of the tournament. They're going to be a top five protected team, which means who's the boss cannot be split up via the draft. And because Ben Bateman is being held by Dagnino, Riley has to go right along with him. So the entire um, uh, horseman can can stay intact. There is that scenario, which means uh, Dagnino would basically not draft until the fifth round. <laughs> so uh, it could be a very interesting... If, if that's the way it goes, that's spectacular. Uh, Dagnino will be set up. Uh, the five horsemen as a whole will have a tremendous advantage over every other team because... They will all be more than likely uh, um, miss, uh, a mix and match of players that maybe have never played together, new teams, all that, while Dagnino and the Five Horsemen, they keep their continuity, they keep their nucleus, they keep the whole group together, and it could be it could be really interesting. It could be really interesting. Um, but who are they going to play? Now, when I was going through all the numbers of the, the, the final four teams, who's the boss, the family, Shazam and Looney Bin, by far and away, the best numbers belong to Shazam. It's actually really, really disgusting how good Shazam has been through three matches. Um, they're 3-0, right? Uh, heading into that Looney Bin, match, Looney Bin match, which I'm not going to cover if you did see it, so don't worry about the spoilers. Uh, Shazam has the top accuracy rate amongst all five teams. That is, again, Finding Fathers, Who's the Boss, The Family, Shazam, Looney Bin. Shazam has a 90.79% accuracy rate. Uh, they've only had one steal opportunity. They didn't capitalize it, capitalize on it. Uh, PPE percentage, Shazam, top amongst those five, 87%. They also have the top round one percentage at 92%. Uh, they have just one miss, one missed question in the second round. So that's an accuracy rate of 94.44%. That's tied with Looney Bin. That's better than Who's the Boss. That's better than the Founding Fathers. But it is less than the family of Drew McQueenie and Andrew Guy. They've only missed one as well. But because they're 5-0 and and they've had uh, more questions and more have, have a higher volume of questions, their accuracy rate is actually at 96.67%. PPE percentage for round two, how many points are they earning of the 12? Uh, Founding Fathers is averaging or earning about 73% of their points. That's last amongst all five teams that remain. Uh, the highest percentage belongs to the Looney Bin, who's earning 94.44% of the points available to them in the second round. Uh, Tom is an absolute machine, uh, and he's really just... You know, after after the end of that first round, it's like autopilot once it once it goes into the second round for Tom. It's really really something special. But the family they're at ninety percent, earning ninety percent of their points in that second round. So Andrew Guy and Drew McQueenie, they you cannot deny that. I mean, yes, they're five and zero, obviously uh, against a couple iffy teams, sure, but they've certainly proved their worth definitely time and time again now uh, by earning ninety percent of their available points in the second round. Uh, when you combine rounds one and two, accuracy-wise, it's Shazam. They're they're answering almost 93% of their questions through the first two rounds, and they're earning 88%, almost 89% of the, the available points between rounds one and two, not including steal opportunities, and those are top uh, rates amongst all five of these teams. And when you look at points through the first two rounds, Founding Fathers are averaging 22.3 points, Who's the boss? They're averaging 23 points. The family, just a tick above Founding Fathers, they're averaging 22.4 points. The Looney Bin, they have the second best uh, average point through the first two rounds at 24.7 points, but it is Shazam. They are averaging 25.7 points through the first two rounds. Um, so if they were to play the Founding Fathers... Uh, they could have a three-point lead over the Founding Fathers after the first two rounds. Um, that would be incredible to watch because of, again, it's just I just go back to Bibiani has played probably the toughest competition you could face in the division in singles and teams all year long, and 
he's been doing it at such a high level. Now you look at a team like the family, uh, very good in the second round, which means that 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 bars any other team for try, from from having any steal opportunities and gaining extra points that way. Uh, they just don't let it happen, and some teams need that. Um, and without that, who you know, the family has proven to be the better team more more times than well all five times at least you know right so uh, it, it's interesting who's the boss when I look at you know they're also very very good in the second round all these teams are really good in the second here's the interesting thing about these teams when it comes to the second round founding fathers uh, through four matches have only missed two questions who's the boss through three questions this year, through three matches this year have only missed two questions. The family through five matches have only missed one second round question. Shazam in their three matches thus far, uh, they've only missed one question in the second round. And the Looney Bin, they've also missed just one question in their three matches in the second round. It's some of the best play. Uh, this is the best the team's division has ever performed by far. So it's really hard to say, you know, first of all, Founding Fathers is going to have one hell of a fight on their hands, whoever they face of these final four. Uh, statistically speaking, Shazam is an absolute monster. Uh, and then you have the family uh, between uh, Drew McQueenie and Andrew Guy. They have found such, uh, they have found a level, and Andrew Guy's been great in the first round. He's, yeah, he's not getting perfect rounds, but he's doing enough because Drew McQueenie is that guy. Drew McQueenie is that guy. He was the guy. When he was when they were when he was a part of above the line, I know I know Sam Levine won the singles title and all of that, but Drew McWeeny on on a team with Sam Levine, who people proclaim as the goat. Let me tell you something: on that team, Drew McWeeny was the guy. He was the guy on that team with a great player like Sam Levine, and he continues to be that guy on the family and and more. He, I mean, he's playing better. I think than when he was with San Levine and above the line, and that's saying something, um, because you know Andrew Guy is no slouch. I mean, Drew McQueenly only needs six, maybe if he's lucky, get seven points out of Andrew Guy for that first round, and then after that, it's the Drew McQueenie show. Not not to um, put down Andrew Guy's abilities uh, or knowledge, because he certainly has it. Um, but when you watch those matches. You can see Andrew Andrew Guy deferring to McWeeny what he wants in the second round. McWeeny has that golden arm. He seems to get just any cat, the categories he wants. So uh, it, it's really incredible. And then when you look at who's the boss, I mean, Ben Bateman, Mark Riley, they have this renewed vigor about them, uh, renewed focus that, you know, they have a knockout. I mean, they, they, they're a scary, scary team. And Ben Bateman is one of the probably the most strategic player left of this group, and that bodes well for Mark Riley, where he doesn't have to kind of worry about any of that stuff. He leaves that up to Ben, and he's just got to go out with that confidence that he knows Ben Bateman's going to help put their team in the best spot when it comes to his second round. And if they get to the final, you know, the, the betting round, the, the speed round, all of that. So there's a great uh, uh, nucleus or a great leader, if you will, on each of these teams that kind of leads the charge and when they go up against whoever goes up against Founding Fathers, uh, look, statistically speaking, Founding Fathers are going to be down. Um, however, when you look at Founding Fathers' latest match, uh, the title winning match against Corruption down in Orlando, you know, double first round, double Dewberries happened for Merle and Roca. And if they bring that same level of play, um, it kind of just throws everything else out the window. But that's assuming a team like Shazam or Who's the Boss doesn't match uh, that level as well. And any of these teams really, really could, aside from probably the family or a loony bin, honestly. Because I don't see Video Drew getting a perfect first round, and I I can't, I don't really see Andrew Guy getting a fir perfect first round. He'll get seven. I don't know. There's just always that one question in that first round that just seems to trip up most people and and I, I haven't seen Andrew Guy really been able to tackle those kind of questions to get a perfect first round but you know that's just one part 
uh, of the match when if you're in that tournament final or you're in the actual title match uh, spectacular that's five rounds and there are other strengths that Andrew Guy has that can benefit the family that can help Drew McWeeny uh, get get his second team belt that he so desperately uh, desires. The team match is going to be something else, that's for sure, uh, whoever ends up facing the Founding Fathers. All right, fourth match, second-to-last match of Spectacular, will be the Inner Geekdom Championship between Mike Kalinowski and Kevin Smets. This one was also kind of a tough one to kind of look at the numbers and say, who's got who's got the edge? Uh, Mike started off his Inner Geekdom campaign this year with a loss to Rachel Cushing in one of the most extraordinary title matches the league has ever seen, the Schmodown has ever seen. He was down by eight points. He stormed back to tie it, go to overtime, only to lose it by a letter, right? We all know the story. Uh, then he was eventually then he was eventually able to recapture the title by defeating Kevin Smith at, at Collider Collision, a number one contender match. Uh, a lot of people will say that Smets beat himself that day. Mike Kalinowski didn't win it. Other people will say Kalinowski won it because he had to answer his question to seal the deal. You know, um, the only thing that 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 kind of was um, impacted was whether or not they were going to go to overtime, right? So it wasn't that Smets entirely lost it. He just lost the ability to kind of have Mike tied up and they went into overtime, and then who knows what would have happened Um if they had went that route. But looking at Kevin Smets' year, I mean, he came in like a bull in a china shop, just wrecking uh, everyone in his path. I mean, he destroyed Hector Navarro. It was really a sight to behold, even though, sure, Hector hadn't played in quite some time and probably was nowhere near uh, what he once was in the league, just because the league has evolved. And Kevin Smets uh, is kind of... The, the leading part of this manifestation of how the league has evolved. I mean, of course, there's Brandon Hannon and Chandra Dantipani. Uh, there's other players. I mean, we saw a glimpse of Chance Ellison, this other guy, Warfather. I don't know what he's going to do. Um, but there's more competition coming into the league, and Kevin Smets really led the charge of the new blood for Inner Geekdom. And he has a right, – right now this year, his actually rates at 88.79%. Compared to Mike's accuracy through three matches, he's two and one. He's only played three matches, uh, two title matches, and a normal contender match. But his accuracy rate is eighty percent. Um, he has considerable. He's about. He's been asked about forty less questions than Smets has. So yes, there is kind of a disparity in terms of uh, question volume. But Smets has really shown that. Obviously, he knows his stuff. He's ten for ten on steals. Smets is. Uh, Mike Kalinowski has only had one opportunity for a steal and, and capitalized on it. Kalinowski's PPE percentage, 79%, compared to Smets's almost 87%. Huge disparity there. Uh, I know I'm reading off all these numbers, and people will just point to, well, Kalinowski already, already beat Smets. Yeah, but how many times, you know, do you think you can really count on Smets, you know, flubbing an answer again? If you're Kalinowski, can you really count on that? Because I don't think you can. Uh, we saw how Smets bounced back against Adam Lavick in a live event in that setting, uh, and I think that was good to kind of, for for Kevin at least, to kind of get back on the horse, put up a good performance, and now, you know, he's ready for Kalinowski. And Kalinowski, while he's, he knows that Smets is going to come in and just uh, put up a health performance, especially in those first two rounds, Kalinowski can also have the confidence of knowing that even if Smets, you know, goes perfect in the first round and has a hell of a second round, even if Kalinowski gets down by eight points, he should know and realize that there's still an opportunity to get back in the game. He's done it before. So while it could transpire that way, the match will never be out of reach for Kalinowski or for Smets at any point. Uh, what's interesting Looking at their the round uh, one and round two totals combined for points, Smets this year is averaging seventeen and a half points through the first two rounds, and Mike Kalinowski is averaging fifteen points through the first two rounds of this year in his three matches. Now, again, 
if Smets has a two-point lead over Kalinsky through the first two matches, if these averages were to hold up, again, I'm not saying these stats will predict what could happen, but this is just a history of what they have done, right? So let's just say Smets was able to put up 17 points, Kalinsky put up 15. How does that inform Kevin Smets to bet in the in the third round? How does that inform Mike Kalinowski to bet? And then the waterfall begins in terms of, okay, this is what happened in the third round. Here's how I'm going to play in the speed round, conservative, conservatively or aggressively. And you can practice all you want, I think, on the buzzers, but it's once you go in there into that round, I think you got to know how you're going to approach the round to begin with. Uh, you can go in there and just like, I'm going to try and answer every single question, but you know, you do get penalized for wrong answers, and, and that's where this game takes a crazy shift, and Smets has never done it. Kalinowski has done it a handful of times now uh, in Intergeekdom and in teams. He's very familiar with those buzzers and what it's like to be in that situation. You can only practice so much at home or away from the live element like Smets is probably doing. Um, you can only do so much, and... Of course, you got to say Kalinowski has the edge in that department because he's done it a handful of times now. However, you know, you can, if if Smets is able to, to navigate his way through the first three rounds, he might not even have to worry that much about the speed round. Is that a long shot? Yes. Is that best case scenario for Smets? Absolutely. Is it likely? Probably not. Probably not. Because Mike is going to, Look, he's had plenty of time off since Orlando to gear up for this match, and I'm sure he was gearing up for this match even before Orlando. Uh, so no, there's no doubt in my mind. Honestly, you know, it's interesting we haven't seen a double first perfect round, first round perfect round in, in Inner Geekdom. I'm willing to put good money on that we'll actually see it on December 7th between Smets and Kalinowski. Both go 11 for 11 uh, in the first round. Bold prediction. It's not too bold because Smets has had one perfect first round uh, this year. Um, and interestingly enough, actually, when you look at Smets and Kalinowski the last time they played in a three-rounder, sure, uh, Smets did outscore Kalinowski 7-6. to six. Um, I, I wouldn't expect to see that low of a number again. I think they're going to become really hungry, really prepared. I think both players were definitely nervous at collision because I think Mike fully understood that he could lose to Smets, and Smets, I think, fully believed that he should beat Kalinowski, and uh, I think they were nervous for those reasons. I could be right, I could be wrong, but nonetheless, uh, it was 7-6 to six, Smets in favor of Smets after that, that first round of collision. I don't think we're going to see 7 or 6 points from either of these players. It's either going to be 9, 10 points, maybe 11 points from both of them. I'd be surprised if we hit someone hit 7. I think it's eight, nine perfect rounds after that, uh, which which is what we're there to see, and I think they're going to deliver it. And this could also go down as one of the greatest all-time Intergeekdom matches uh, we've ever seen. It could rival, honestly, Kalinowski Cushing two back in February at the Schmidt Throwdown. Uh, I have really high hopes for this match. It's my most anticipated match uh, of Spectacular, and. When you try and when you when you put your name down and say I, I I'm picking this player to win the match, when it comes to this match, there's really no right or wrong way to look at it. I mean, sure you can have your 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 fandom for one player or the other, and you're going to root for them, obviously. But if someone said I'm rooting, I'm I, I think Kalinowski is going to win it. I go, yeah, you could be right. Or someone will say I think Smith is going to win. It. I go, you're absolutely correct. I have no idea who's going to win this, but I will say. Uh, I I like an angry Kalinowski more than I like a uh, happy Kalinowski. It's just more fun for me as a viewer, as a fan to watch. So that's why I'm going to pick Smets to win this one. And I, you know, like like I said, either one could win this one. It's going to be a brutal, brutal match. Um, and I both know how much both of these players want this win. And it's going to be highly emotional, I think. Uh, we'll see who can deal with those emotions and manage them on that stage in front of hundreds of people. Um, and it's the second to last match, but people might view this as their main, um, the title match, the the marquee match, like I will. Um, 
man, I, I but yeah, I'm going to, because next year, can you imagine just a more of an angry Kalinowski, especially with the draft? Um, I would, I would, I would love to see it, you know, but, uh, it's, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to official pick is, is going to be Kevin's Mets on this one. All right. Last match of Spectacular will be the singles title match between Paul Oyama and either William DeBeast Bibiani or Ben Bateman. I've gone over uh, Bateman and Bibiani's numbers. They're at the top of the division uh, table this year. Uh, they're the top two performing players. However, they do have one loss each to their to their record this year. Paul Oyama, however, does not. He's a perfect 6-0. and He's only the... Uh, second player to go six and zero in singles. Sam Levine's the other guy, uh, where he ultimately went seven and zero before he retired. Uh, Paul Oyama, he's trying to become that second person to go seven and zero, and I just don't know uh, if he can do it. I'll say well, first off, here's Paul's numbers. This year, he has an accuracy rate of seventy-seven percent. He's 3 of 7 on steals with a PPE percentage of 72%. That's the 7th best in the division. Uh, his accuracy rate is actually 8th best in the division. It's not even the top 5, and yet he's 6-0. and uh, And that's because when you look at his opponent's average accuracy rate, it is the 16th toughest, or it's about middle of the road uh, in the division with 67%. His opponents are averaging 67% accuracy rate against him. Uh, when you look at multiple choice usage, it's right on par with Bibbs. It's the fifth uh, fifth lowest at almost 21%. He is 2 of 5 on multiple choice. Uh, that's that's a weak spot in his game that if he has to go to multiple choice, you know he doesn't do it that often, but if he does, he just has bad luck at getting the right one. I mean, you know, 2 out of 5, not ideal, but if Bibbs or Bateman are across from him on that table, uh, expect those to be be uh, swept up by them and and capitalized on and that could be his uh, Paul Yama's undoing at least through the first two rounds. Uh, round one points he's averaging six point seven points in the first round as third best uh, in the division this year. Round two points averaging six point three points fourth best in the division this year. He has one perfect second round of this year where he went four for four for all eight points. He's done it once in just his six matches. Uh, round two percentage, fifth best at 83%. Uh, when you look at his total points between rounds one and two, it's the fourth best at 13 points, which is just behind, again, Bibbs and Bibiani, or I'm sorry, Bibbs and Bateman, 13.8 for Bibbs, 13.4 for Ben Bateman, and 13 flat for Oyama through the first two rounds. So when you look at, at least point-wise, Paul's definitely going to be in it, and then he knows the game really, really well. He knows how to strategize. I'm sure he has a plan for either Bateman or Bibiani already, and that will suit him well against Bibiani if Bibbs were to defeat Bateman. If Bibiani were to defeat Bateman and face Paul Oyama, I am I am picking Paul Oyama to defeat Bibiani in the singles uh, title match. However, if Ben Bateman does defeat William Bibiani, and it's such a close call with those two. But if he does it, I'm going to pick Ben Bateman to overtake Paul Uyama because there is no one better in the league who prepares for an opponent than Ben Bateman. Paul Uyama, he is good, but he has shown, especially in that Snyder match and to an extent the Dan Merle match, he has shown chinks in the armor. Ben Bateman loves to exploit those, and he's probably already pinpointed those weaknesses. And he's, and, and with that said, he's probably exploited any weakness he could find with Bibiani. I don't know if Bibiani approaches the game that same way, because I think when you play a player like Paul, look what he did against Snyder. You know, he was throwing up Harry Potter and uh, I forget what other category he put up there, and it really messed with Snyder. Now, I think Bateman's a little bit more unflappable, uh, I think the Bibiani, I mean, he has, there's, there's really, it's really hard to find a weakness for him, but I think Oyama will definitely have done his homework, much like Ben would, but I still give 
the the preparedness advantage to Ben. And so if he were to play Paul, I'm going to give the W to to Ben in that scenario. Um, there's really not a whole lot more uh, you can really talk about for spectacular other than the fact that we are I, we are definitely going to see some all-time matches as spectacular this year um it's it's going to be a lot of fun you know and and just player expo and uh I, I fully expect that um you know we we might be seeing some fireworks because i think smets will be at a table corruption will be at a table uh founding fathers will be at a table and then who knows what team uh, they're playing they might be at a table so i'm wondering if we'll see some uh some pre-game uh snafus or what have you during during that but um you know if you're not going to spectacular get that live stream it's available now on showdownlive.com go get it i forget how much it is not that much or if you're a ten dollar patron already you know you get that live link uh try and watch it live try and watch it live because i can't imagine waiting like a week or two weeks before it's public i think it's two weeks before it's public on youtube there's just too much that's going to happen on december 7th so uh look spectacular it's gonna be the best event we've ever done all right that's enough for me this is cheat sheet number 16 go check it on the podcast movie trivia just went on podcast feed find it there past episodes as well all right i'm out